The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Angelo Gallo. He is the Chief Investment Officer at Lifelong Wealth Strategies, which is a money management firm based in White Plains, New York. Welcome to the show, Angelo. Hey, thanks, Jordan. Let's just start with a little bit of your background and how you got to where you are today. Very quickly, um, started working in the trust department for a, a New Jer- large New Jersey-based bank that specialized in trust services. From there, migrated over to Wall Street. Um, eventually got to the point where uh, the idea of being on a trading desk uh, and or being a phone jock didn't really appeal to me. Um, I kind of felt like I needed to spend time or spend my time, you know, more face-to-face, client-facing, being able to build relationships. So uh, I left Wall Street and joined a financial planning firm in Westchester and uh, that's essentially how I, uh, you know, got into the advisory business. So that was twenty six, twenty seven years ago. And so, tell me a little bit about what kind of clients you have and what kind of services you provide them. Well, there, um, I'll use the term, you know, retail clients. Although I do advise uh, some four hundred one k plans, uh, and I also advise individual employees on their uh, individual uh, you know, 401k plans at work. I, I run a proprietary database whereby we're able to uh, track their investment menu, if you will, um, and let them know, you know where they should be allocating their 401k money uh, you know, within their list of choices. Now, sometimes the choices aren't all that great, so you do the best you can, um, and you work from there. Um, the non 401k uh, universe is really just individual retail clients that come to us uh, looking for either uh, financial planning and or you know investment advisory help. Uh, in which case, um, you know, if there's a fit, then terrific. All right, well, you dealt with a lot of people for over 20 years here. We're going to get into the whole way that you analyze the market and how you invest. But just on an overall basis, having dealt with lots of people for many years, what are some of the biggest mistakes that clients make uh, in their perceptions of the way they invest when they come into you in the first place? I'll tell you, one of the things that I see is that when they buy something, it somehow innately means that they're going to own it forever. So what I typically find is that people will buy something, but when they buy it, they have no idea what their exit strategy is. They don't even think about uh, an exit strategy. So I would say that's probably the, the biggest thing that I say. Uh, and then also, you know, not paying attention to risk in the marketplace. Um, a little bit later, you know, we'll, we'll talk about... Um, 
modern portfolio theory, buy and hold and whatnot. But those are what I call rules of thumb that were promulgated uh, in the great bull market of 1980, uh, the 80s, the 90s, and then which I would say expired uh, in late 2007. So um, paying attention to when it's time to get out of something, paying attention to overall risk in the economy and the marketplace, um, a lot of people just sort of ignore that stuff and think that, you know, everything will be fine, you know, and that in the long run, stocks will go up. But it really depends on, on your time frame. We humans don't live forever. So you have to be cognizant of, of where you are in the scheme of things. All right, then the way you, you analyze things is you use some combination of fundamental and technical analysis. So tell me what role fundamental analysis plays and what role technical analysis plays in picking uh, the stocks and securities that you put clients into. Well, I, I think first, probably just a, a, a brief uh, distinction between technical analysis and fundamental, and that is technical analysis really focuses on price action. What is the price of the Dow Jones index doing? What is the price of Apple doing? Or whatever it is you're looking at. And, and tracking that price action and monitoring its behavior using what we call technical indicators. Uh, fundamental analysis is really where a person develops an opinion about the economy an opinion about a company, its products, how well it'll do, what they think its profits will be, that sort of thing. So that's really where you draw the line. One, one is developing an opinion. The other is using price action because wrapped up in price action is everything that anybody knows about anything related to the economy or related to you know, the, the particular stock or company. Price action reflects tax concerns, political concerns, geopolitical concerns, inflation, profit, uh, that sort of thing. So it's a real easy way to, to monitor uh, what's really happening behind the scenes. It's something that I picked up on when I started doing some reading about, uh, or from the writings of actually Charles Dow himself. Uh, he started writing in 1898 through about 1902, and in fact, um, you know, he was the first editor of, of the Wall Street Journal and actually created the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So that's really the, you know, the distinction between fundamental and technical. And you're saying you need to, need to use both to make uh, you know, good security I, decisions. I, I have to tell you, Jordan, I use fundamental analysis less and less and less. Nowadays... Uh, if if uh, a stock happens to pop up on my radar screen, I'm first and foremost concerned about what does the point and figure chart, what does the price action look like? And, and then I'll look to see what the company does for a living. But I'm more concerned about the price action. I mean, I, w I won't just buy a stock or an ETF blindly. Um, I like to, you know, want to at least know uh, what they do for a living. Um, but I don't develop an opinion about what they're doing. I just want to know, you know who they are and what they are. Um, and then the, the price action of, of the stock uh, tells me everything that I need to know. Because quite frankly, Jordan, um, you know, there's people out there that 
will always know more than I ever will about a particular company because there, there's people out there that maybe specialize or focus on five, six, maybe even no more than ten companies. And that's all they do, a very, very narrow focus. So they're able to analyze these five or ten companies inside and out. And so they might have an advantage. Plus, they, they may have access to management, which so you, enables you, them to gain insight. Are you saying that basically it's the efficient market theory that uh, it's really hard to beat the market in the long run since all the information is already in the price and, and trying to outguess that is a fool's game? No. What I'm, what I'm saying is, is that you can probably outperform the market if you focus your attention on those stocks or those sectors or those groups within the economy that for a period of time are actually performing better than the S&P 500. And that's certainly possible. So, for example, for the last 10 years, most people don't realize this, but for the last 10 years, small and mid-cap stocks have absolutely blown away the S&P 500. And if you had a process to be able to identify that the relative strength in the marketplace lied within small and mid-cap stocks, that could have made all the difference in the world, especially for someone that was a buy-and-hold investor or someone that uh, liked indexing. Because quite frankly, Jordan, uh, just before we went on the show, um, I pulled up the return for the S&P 500 from January 1st, 2000, through last, um, Friday night's close. And the return there, not including dividends, was 14.5% over a 13-and-a-half-year period. So after inflation, it's safe to say that uh, the, the person that was using indexing didn't really go anywhere. In fact, um, you know, after taxes and whatnot, they, they might have just had a zero rate of return. So it, it really depends on, on what you're looking at. And um, I wouldn't say that the, the efficient market means you can't outperform. The efficient market means if you look in the right places, it'll tell a story. And that's really what it's all about, is listening to the language of the market via its price action so that it can tell you a story. Is this and, something the average person can do? I mean, what, what you're talking about doing is looking at the point-and-figure charts and the, the technical action first and then fundamentals later. Now, you're spending all time with this. Is this something the average investor can uh, emulate what you're doing? You know, if, um, if they have the time to spend to, to get a second education, uh, they, they probably could. But, you know, it's, it's taken me uh, 13 years uh, to go from the pie and modern portfolio theory and fundamental investing and buy and hold to migrating over to this side of the fence. And, and there's reasons why uh, I made this change over time. And that's because at the end of the 90s, uh, the 90s were a really good decade. And I was employing what's called modern portfolio theory because, quite frankly, that's what we're taught. That's the way... Um, financial people are trained that you slice up the pie, you know, international, large cap growth, large cap value, small cap stocks, that sort of thing. And, you know, you sort of set your allocation based on your risk profile and you just put it on autopilot. 
So at the end of the 90s, I looked at the results of, of operating that way, and I realized, you know, if I had put all of my money in the Dow 30 stocks during that 10-year period, I would have earned a 10% rate of return versus the, the 8% rate of return being diversified. And, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with owning the 30 largest stocks in the United States, if not the world, all the while earning dividends. So, you know, I stumbled across the writings of Charles Dow, which helped me to understand that the markets are forward-looking. You know, you'll, you'll hear commentators say, oh, the market's wrong. As far as I'm concerned, Jordan, the market is never wrong because it's the collective wisdom of all of the participants that are putting, on, putting their money on the line on a daily basis based upon what they expect in the economy six to 12 months into the future. And so that's where I began to realize monitoring price action, if you do it right, can sort of act as a barometer. You know, a, a barometer is, is different from a thermometer. A thermometer tells you what the temperature of the air is right now. A barometer starts to show you a change in the atmospheric pressure. And, and that's really what monitoring, let's say, the Dow Transportation Average or the Dow Jones Industrial Average and even the S&P 500, monitoring the, the price of those indexes can give you some insight as to you know, what might be forthcoming 6 to 12 months down the road. That was certainly the case back in late 2007. If, if someone was paying attention, there was a good chance they could have gotten themselves out of harm's way and These avoided things were moving a down. Yeah, things yeah, are moving down exactly. before things really, really get bad. That's Very good. right. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Angelo Gallo. He's the Chief Investment Officer at Lifelong Wealth Strategies based in White Plains, New York. His website is lifelongwealthstrategies.com. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Business owners, do you run your business or does your business run you? Put yourself on the road to success by tuning in to Success Unchained with hosts Anthony and Julie McGloin. At last, discover how to overcome your biggest challenges, take control of your business, and achieve the results you've always dreamed of. Find out how with our resident master business coach and world-class guest experts. Transform the nine key areas of your business and unchain your true potential. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. If you want to know about investing in emerging and frontier markets, or if you have experience in this field but still need to know more, 
Tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham. Gavin explores news, current trends, and insights about both categories of investing. His guest experts, along with his own knowledge, will help you stay above the line when it comes to growth potential, whether in funds or equities. He will look at what to invest in and avoid. Tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Angelo Gallo. He is the Chief Investment Officer at Lifelong Wealth Strategies based in White Plains, New York. Welcome back to the show, Angelo. Hey, thanks, Jordan. Tell great. people a little bit about what they can find out at your website at lifelongwealthstrategies.com. There's a, a brief description about our wealth management services, uh, investment advisory services, and um, uh, a brief bio about myself. But as, as always, you know those those things are always you know a work in progress. Okay, very good. All right, now you were saying one of the key uh, ways that people should be monitoring the market is through relative strength. So maybe describe how people can see what's going on relative strength, what's doing relatively better, relatively worse, and once they know that, how they should adjust their portfolio to account for that. Sure. Um, for, for maybe listeners today, Jordan, one of the things that they might want to consider is there's a fairly inexpensive um, charting service out there called StockCharts.com. And... They, they provide charts of all sorts, including what I use, which is called a point-and-figure chart. This, this is something that Charles Dow himself uh, began using, which is nothing more than using X's and O's. I call them kisses and hugs uh, to plot um, the price action of a particular item. So one of the things that your, your listeners could do is, let's just say you wanted to find out, you know, how is the biotech sector doing versus the S&P 500. So you could take something like the XBI, which is the Spiders Biotech ETF, um, and tell the chart divided by the S&P 500. And it'll plot for you um, uh, either in an upward-sloping fashion or a downward-sloping fashion whether or not SPY is stronger or weaker than, than the biotech sector. So... That's essentially what relative strength is. In, in my world, relative strength is this daily arm wrestling match, if you will, between cash, commodities, foreign currencies, fixed income, international equities, and domestic equities. Right. So it's this daily arm wrestling match to find out who's moving up, let's say, at a faster rate than the next guy. So what we have seen for the last couple of years is that U.S. domestic equity has been in the number one spot for most of the time. In other words, it's the strongest global sector uh, that's out there at the moment, and it's actually leading by a wide margin. Then from there, 
your listener could drill down and start to research, okay, you know, what sectors of the U.S. economy are actually favored? That's what we call them, favored, average, or unfavored. And, and you know, that, that's how you can start to drill down and identify those areas of the marketplace that are identifying strength. So, you know, right now, the favorite sectors would be biotech. Um, they would be the drugs, computers, Internet stocks, software stocks, gaming, um, machinery and tools, and banking. And, and then average these days is financials, healthcare, uh, telecommunications, semiconductors, that sort of thing. Um, and also, like I mentioned already, biotech retailing has been a, a really strong sector uh, the past year and a half or so. Uh, the Spider ETF XRT, again, if you take that, divide it uh, by the S&P 500, and let stock charts plot that for you, you'll be able to see that XRT has been outperforming the S&P 500. So to go back to your question earlier, Jordan, when you said, you know, it's an efficient market, so therefore you can't outperform, actually you can, if you're buying the favored sectors, all right? Over, so then, over what period of time should you count, uh, look at relative strength over the last six months, year, two years? Because it's going to get different results based there, on the time period you pick. Um, at, well, that, I mean, that's true of anything. However, however, again, if you're focusing on where the relative strength is, theoretically, you're, you're always going to be outperforming the market. Now, it's, it's clearly a lot harder uh, you know, it's a lot easier to say than to do because emotion comes into play, and then it's, okay, you know, when do you start uh, shifting? You know, what is your exit strategy? And for us, we employ stop losses as a very strict risk management technique. Whenever we buy something, um, we immediately sign, assign a stop loss price to it so that uh, you know, we're minimizing our losses. And that goes back to, to a question you asked me earlier. You know, what's, what's one of the things that, you know, the average person, um, you know, what are the mistakes? And it's not having an exit price. Professional investors, Wall Street traders, hedge funds, I will tell you, the moment they buy something, they know exactly what the process is for getting out. So if you're using, let's say, a 5% stop loss, that means if you buy something at $100 and it somehow goes against you, you're going to get out somewhere in the $95 neighborhood. But on the other hand, if the item rises over time, and let's say it goes from 100 to 120 and you're using a 5% stop loss, that means if the item pulls back, you're going to exit somewhere around 114 Now understand, you know, that kind of risk management is not foolproof. You could get whipsawed. But the thing that your readers have to really understand, Jordan, is that whatever process they decide to employ in their investment strategy, they have to stick with it. They can't halfway into it say, oh, you know what, the market's not behaving right, and then jump off to another strategy. That just leads to disaster. So if they employ a particular strategy, they have to work it and not yeah. abandon ship midstream. In the stop losses, how tight do you t- tend to place the stop loss? I mean, you said five percent. That could be 
I could go up very quickly. Do you do ten percent or what level of I, risk do you take? I, I do a little bit. I do a little bit more than five percent. I'll do maybe seven ish or eight ish for a sector like biotech or or retail or something like that. Um, for something like an index fund, for example, MDY, which is the Spider uh, Mid Cap 400. Um, whenever I'm using an index fund. Uh, I'll use a a 5% stop loss. Now, MDY actually is a perfect example of relative strength. The mid-cap sector, as I said earlier, and small caps for that matter, have been outperforming the S&P 500. So even if your listeners were to use the S&P 500 as, as a core and then tilt away into those areas that have relative strength, they can get you know very nice investment results over over a very long period of time, um, and I would say Jordan that as long as a sector has relative strength over the S and P five hundred, it doesn't really matter what period of time you want to measure. So do you always want to get into an area that has positive relative strength? I mean, you could make the argument it may be doing well now compared to the market, but you may be getting in too late. And by the time it turns negative, you know, you you bought high, in effect. Is that a problem with always buying things that have positive relative strength? Uh, you know, when, when you're buying uh, with a relative strength philosophy, um, you're buying into momentum. And it took me a long time to shed the idea of bottom fishing or trying to catch a falling knife. Value investors um, have had a really tough time the past 13 years because you buy something because it's cheap only to have it get cheaper. Whereas, on the other hand, you're buying relative strength. That means you're buying something that's on the move. And for some reason, it's counterintuitive to the way we humans are wired. We don't like buying things that are, that are moving and on the way up, generally speaking. You know, we like to buy stuff because it's cheap. We seem to like bargains. But when you do that, you're buying something that has the relative strength, and, and the thing about it is that relative strength can last not days, weeks, but it can last months and years. Like I said, the tilt over the past uh, 10 years has been small and mid-cap stocks. If an investor had known that, they would have actually had some pretty good investment results over the past 10 years versus the more dismal results when, when 2008 and 2009 are factored in. So you're saying that relative strength trends tend to last a long time, and even if you get in after it's well-established and your particular industry or stock is doing better, you just keep riding it until the relative strength goes negative is what you're saying. Yeah, or, or you're, you, know, you get um, stopped out you know, because of your, your stop losses. Now, you know, it will happen where you sell something for that $95, as I mentioned earlier, you know, only to have it go to 94, and then it turns around and goes up to 102. Well, as it's doing that turnaround from 94 back up to 102, there isn't anything that says you can't buy it back. The point being here is that you must have a risk management process of some sort built into your investment strategy. It's absolutely critical. And, and the, the average investor uh, completely ignores that. That's been my experience over all of these years. And to be honest, um, a lot of advisors as well, 
You know, this idea that we can just ride the roller coaster because in the end the market will be up, um, I, I disagree with that completely because, you know, what if you had retired? What if you were 62 10 years ago and, you know, you rode the roller coaster? Your money has basically gone nowhere for 10 years. I know it feels like we've been on a tear, but you've got to realize that that tear has come from the March 9th, 2009 lows. And at that point, the S&P 500 was down 53%. So from its highs in October of 07 to its low in March of 09, the S&P, Jordan, lost uh, you know, 53%. So yeah. your $500,000 became 250. Now, granted, off of that low of March 09 through today, okay, the market, the, the S&P has come back 149%. But... If you multiply 250,000, this is basic sixth grade math that people ignore, multiply your 250,000 by 1.49, Jordan, and you're only at like $375,000. Yeah, you lose a lot more on the way down. You have to protect your capital. Yeah. So risk management is, uh, you know, I, I can't stress it enough. Very good. All right, we're going to go to a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Angelo Gallo. He's the Chief Investment Officer at Lifelong Wealth Strategies based in White Plains, New York. His website is lifelongwealthstrategies.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. 
My guest this hour is Angelo Gallo. He's the chief investment officer at Wealth Long Wealth Lifelong Wealth Strategies, uh, based in uh, White Plains, New York. Welcome back to the show, Angelo. Thanks, Jordan. Great to be uh, here. You've uh, talked a lot about modern portfolio theory, which people might have heard about, but you don't, you're not a big big fan of it these days. Why do you contrast modern portfolio theory with what you do think makes more sense, which is Dow theory? Kind of explain the difference between the two of them. Yeah. Well, Dow theory. Uh, and Charles Dow himself never actually called it that. It was more a bunch of observations that he made in his daily commentary of the market. And he came up with something. He came up with uh, this idea of the collective wisdom of the market. And I think you and I may have touched on this a little bit. And you know, your listeners may recall that recent show with uh, Regis Philbin, um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And... Uh, if I remember correctly, the participant could poll the audience to help um, help him with the qu- answering the question, or he could right. call up his best friend to right. help uh, you know answer the question. And invariably, the success rate when the participant polled the audience, because you would think that everyone uh, you know the, the hundred people in the audience or whatever, um, you know there's some pretty good brain power there versus uh, just calling your friend. So invariably, it turned out that the success rate by polling the audience, I believe, was something on the order of 93%. And when you polled your best friend, it was somewhere in the, in the 60% range. So that made me think about what I read regarding Charles Dow, where he said, look, when you're dealing with the markets, you have millions and millions of participants putting their hard-earned money down on the line globally on a daily basis. And this action on the part of global participants represents everything that they know, the sum total of everything that they know or expect to happen with regard to the global economy uh, or even the U.S. economy, what have you, six to 12 months into the future acting much like a barometer as far as the price action is concerned of the market. So I started to, you know, look at all of that and that that led me to technical analysis, you know, back in the early 2000s. And so the contrast between that and modern portfolio theory is this idea that each individual can identify what their risk tolerance is and then slice up the pie. I like to call it the pie. Again, it's owning a little bit of large-cap growth, large-cap value, maybe some bonds. And, Jordan, we should definitely talk about bonds also yes. mm-hmm. uh, before I forget. Um, all right? And, and so you have this pie, and you just let it ride. And quite frankly, this idea, modern portfolio theory, it's just a theory, uh, really evolved uh, back in the 50s because pension funds utilize this methodology. And so when you start to think about it, you begin to realize, well, you know, pension funds don't ever die. Pension funds don't have a life expectancy, but we humans do. So, you know, if we're 60 or 65, uh, you know, maybe we have another 20 years as our life expectancy. But if we hit the timing wrong, you know, it can be a terrible thing. Just think back to uh, you know, retiring back in let's say 1974, all right, and the bear market that ensued, or even retiring somewhere around 1928 or 1929, it was essentially a bear market for another you know 25 years or so. 
the market really didn't exceed its old 1929 high until the 50s. I think it was 50, 1956 or so. Yeah. Somewhere mm-hmm. around there. Uh, and then if, you're, if you were a Japanese investor back in 1989, maybe some of your listeners recall that the, the Nikkei hit 30,000 back then. So imagine being a retiree in 1988 or 1989, um, watching your money decline by 50% and essentially never recovering. So you're saying modern portfolio theory does not use the technical analysis and the selling strategies and the stop losses and things that you're recommending to preserve capital. My, my experience is that it does not. Not on its own anyway. It would be up to the individual or the advisor to say, okay, look, you know, we're, we're going to pull off onto the side of the road here because there's some really dark clouds forming on the horizon. So um, if you don't attach any sort of risk management to buy and hold indexing or modern portfolio theory, uh, then you, need to, you, know, you really need to be careful because most people that I met um, after 2009 uh, all wrote it down. And when I said, why did you, all of them just sort of looked at me with a blank stare and said, well, because that's, you know, what we were told to do. You ride it out. So you're saying it's and, better to take, take uh, either small losses or take some gains and be in cash and ride it out until relative strength returns. Is, is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. Uh, now, that, that's going to involve some taxes, right? If you have some gains and you're going to be selling these things to capture those gains, you're going to have some capital gains taxes to pay. But you're saying that's, it's worth it. Uh, well, in my mind, it is worth it, Jordan, because I'd rather be paying taxes on some profits rather than writing off losses. But yet a lot of people do the opposite, right? They're so worried about taxes that they don't sell and things are going down. Yes. And, and you know, back in the 90s, tax-efficient vesting uh, became in vogue. Uh, and I have to say, you know, I, I kind of succumb to it a little bit, but then you realize, wait a minute, you know, making money in the markets is tough enough, and then you want to put constraints on it, like, uh, you know, minimizing your tax bill. I mean, look, Jordan, the only way um, you can avoid a tax bill is by either having a zero rate of return or incurring losses. And to me, that doesn't make any sense. You talked about bonds. Let's talk about bonds a little bit because lately uh, interest rates have been rising and people have been taking big losses on bonds. What role should bonds play in a portfolio these days? That's a really good question, Jordan. Um, We had a great bond bull market that essentially began um, when Paul Volcker became Fed chairman back in the 80s, around 1982 or so. I even remember my father. Um, He went and he bought a a five-year CD uh, at the old county trust here in Westchester, you know, a five-year CD at 17%, and then that was the end of that. But the 30-year treasury was up in the range of um, 17 18% back then. And over the past 30 years, interest rates have slowly declined to the point where we recently hit the all-time lows as far as rates go. So we've gone from 17% on the 30-year U.S. Treasury all the way down to about 2.5% in recent times. Over that period of time, bonds were considered conservative investments because they pay interest, their value was rising over time, 
So no one was really concerned about whether or not they were appropriately conservative or not. Now you start to look at it and you go, wait a minute. You know, interest rates are down here at the bottom and have only one way to go over the next five or ten years, and that's interest rates rising. What I find most people don't understand, Jordan, and recently um, a friend of mine gave a talk uh, in front of a bunch of accountants, and they didn't realize that rising interest rates mean declining bond prices. So now investors really need to be concerned about their bond holdings because they're sitting there thinking, well, you know, this is pretty safe stuff. It used to be, but now your risk level with regard to bonds, in my opinion, Jordan, is rising dramatically because some of your listeners may recall back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and you yourself, remember when money market rates were 4 or 5% money market? Right. You know, the, the bank, your bank account paying 4%? Now it's zero. <laughs> now it's zero. And, and by the way, um, the recent low point in interest rates goes back to about May 5th of this year. And I, I ran some numbers. And if you look at the 30-year Treasury bond since May, it's down about 11%. There's something called the iShares ETF. It's the U.S. Home Construction ETF. As of Friday, that thing declined about 20% since... So are you saying people should stay out of long-term bonds altogether and shorten up maturities? I, I, or what, what are your, you saying? Your listeners, your listeners, Jordan, need to get with their advisors or whoever is, is helping them uh, and start looking at their bond holdings, and they need to seriously consider weaning themselves off of their long-term positions uh, and, and moving to what we call short-duration bonds. You know, stuff that's going to move very little. If, if an, one of your listeners has a bond fund, I believe those are riskier than actually owning individual bonds, and here's why. If you own an individual bond and you bought it for $1,000 and it ends up going down to, let's say, $800 because interest rates went from 3% to 5%, the one thing your investor could do is hold the bond until maturity. All right? Now, granted, interest rates are higher, they were losing out, but at least they got their principal back, irrespective of inflation and so on. That's not true with someone who invests in a bond mutual fund. If a bond mutual fund goes down in value, it's going to be virtually impossible for the investor to get their money back because what happens is you have other investors that are jumping ship. And that forces the mutual fund manager to sell bonds. And you get this you know, snowball effect. And, and so once you've lost money in a bond fund, 5 10 15% or more, um, you're not going to get your money back unless interest rates go back down to that you know, 3 4% range. And if I'm right and this cycle is over, then, then bonds are no longer going to be considered a conservative investment. They, quite frankly, could become a very, very risky investment. Now, I don't, I don't expect interest rates to rise or spike uh, like dramatically, but it could be Chinese water torture. You know, they could rise slowly over time, where slowly but surely, each and every month, 
you know, your listener gets their, their uh, bond mutual fund statement in the mail, and every month there's this slow decline, slow decline, slow decline, before they finally realize, my gosh, in order to earn 5%, I lost 12 that's not a winning and, strategy. <laughs> yeah, that's not a winning strategy. So um, if your listeners own bonds or bond funds, they really need to start going, digging in there and seeing what they should start to dispose of in preparation for higher interest rates. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Angelo Gallo. He is the chief investment officer at Lifelong Wealth Strategies based in White Plains, New York. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. Are you looking for innovative ideas on how to achieve your financial dreams? Tune in to Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday afternoon at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Join Certified Financial. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Angelo Gallo. He's the Chief Investment Officer at Lifelong Wealth Strategies based in White Plains, New York. Welcome back to the show, Angelo. Hey, thanks, Jordan. Great to be so here. We have, a, we have a good sense of your methodology. Now let's kind of apply all this to where we stand right now in the markets and the economy. Um, so we've had uh, certainly an improving economy. Unemployment is down from where it was. Uh, the Federal Reserve has been pouring money into the economy for a long time, and they're about to meet, uh, potentially uh, lower the amount of bond buying they're doing. Uh, on, on some, some people are saying there's a potential inflation out there because of what the, what the bond is, the uh, Fed has been doing for so long. Other people are saying deflation is a big worry, that uh, Europe is still in big trouble, there's a big debt overhang, and China is slowing down. What, what is your kind of overall view of where we are in the economic cycle right now? I have concerns about all of the things you just mentioned, Jordan. Uh, and, and I've had concerns about those things for quite some time. But when you're managing money and focusing on the markets, you have to sometimes divorce yourself from what you think the fundamentals might be or what you think might happen and and look at the price action to see is there any indication to suggest that this fundamental view is going to be validated by price action 
Now, all of the things that you mentioned, um, if one or any of them come to fruition, will show up somewhere in the price action of oil or gold or bonds or stocks, uh, you know, or, or possibly even all of the above. So, so what is the price action telling you today with what you've been seeing so far? Up until last Thursday, the price action was flashing some yellow lights. My, the shorter-term indicators that, that I look at were flashing some, some warning signs to suggest, hey, look, you know what? Um, don't do any new buying until we see some more demand coming back into the marketplace. In fact, um, our studies have been showing that demand for stocks has been extremely sluggish uh, for the last couple of months. But on the other hand, sellers have not been very active either. So you, you get this environment where sellers are not in a rush to dispose of their stocks, but buyers aren't looking to add much in the way of stocks either until we get some clarity. And certainly, you know, you mentioned Fed tapering, and starting tomorrow and Wednesday, the Federal Reserve has its open market committee meeting to discuss whether or not they are going to slow down their bond buying because they've been, the Federal Reserve, in trying to help the economy, has been buying or printing the money to buy $85 billion worth of U.S. Treasuries uh, and mortgage-backed securities to try and spur the, the real estate market and get the economy moving and reduce unemployment. And so what are you expecting them to do? Well, I think they're going to start to slow down their bond buying. And at some point, they're going to have to. Okay, Whether it's September of this year or, or the first quarter of next year, whenever that begins to happen, Jordan, that means that the marketplace is going to determine what they think interest rates should be. And so my expectation is that interest rates will slowly rise to a more normal level. Well, remember earlier we said, hey, remember back when bank accounts were paying 3 and 4% and money market accounts were 4 and 5 and the 30-year Treasury bond was paying 7 and 8? That's a more normal environment. It sounds strange to, to hear those numbers today because of what the Fed has done to interest rates over the past 10 years, but that's the reality. And so if the Fed slowly weans themselves off of the $85 billion and maybe they go to $75 billion, you know, or 70 and over time continue to cut back. If there's continued economic growth, that's going to have the effect of increasing interest rates to a more normal level, which goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that real estate, um, utilities, bonds, are going to take it on the chin. So all the interest-sensitive groups you think are quite risky right now if interest rates are going to uh, rise. The interest-sensitive the interest groups, Jordan, since May, have really been taking it on the chin. As I said earlier, the, the home construction, home building sector since May is off roughly 20%. Um, the IYR, which is the Dow Jones Real Estate ETF, uh, that was off about 17%. You know, so that's an area you would, you would, it has negative relative strength, you would stay away from that. What Absolutely. are areas that would benefit by, uh, if there is some Fed tapering you should talk about, 
and the economy continues to grow, what would have better relative strength going forward, and what is the price action telling you there? There, there you would look at the equal-weighted S&P 500. Um, there's an ETF out there by Guggenheim. It's RSP that um, is equal-weighted, and what that means is, is that all 500 members of the S&P 500 are all weighted about 2% each. So no one company can dominate the index. And since 70% or so of the stocks on the New York Stock Exchange are small and mid-cap stocks, as I said earlier, that's where the real relative strength has been. So if, if your listeners um, want to move away from bonds a little bit uh, to re- slowly and systematically reduce their exposure... Um, and and begin tilting to where the strength is. Well, the strength right now is small small cap stocks. There's an ETF by iShares, IJR, uh, MDY, which I mentioned earlier, um, RSP. Um, retail, the retail sector has actually been pretty strong, so I happen to like an ETF there called XRT. And also, you know, biotech has been very strong as well. And so you think and these will continue? They've been strong, but you think that's going to continue? Yeah, their chart patterns look good to me. Mm-hmm. You know, now, um, you know, that could change next week, who knows? But but as we speak, if I were putting new money to work, that's exactly where I'd be putting it. So what could upset this relatively positive? Basically you're saying the economy is getting better, interest rates are going to rise, the Fed's going to be tapering, all these sectors you just talked about are going to do quite well. What could kind of come out of the blue and upset this rosy scenario? A a hard landing in China some sort of financial accident by a large bank in Europe, Um, possibly a resurgence of of inflation here in the U.S., but at the moment, um, I don't think that's right around the corner. That could be a couple of years away. Uh, Gary Gary Schilling, whose research or economic research that I subscribe to, has written that after a financial debacle, it typically takes about 10 years for the deleveraging to run its course. So right now, we're roughly five years into that process, and by Gary's estimates, there's maybe another four or five years left of the unwinding of all of the excessive debt that has taken place. So if that's truly the case, there could be deflationary forces that continue for a few more years. And you know, uh, the other thing, Jordan, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, you have India that has entered the global economy. China, obviously, has entered the global economy. And then you have places like Thailand and Turkey and so on. This is billions and billions of people wanting to achieve a middle-class life. And so they're willing to work really hard for comparatively lower wages than what you would earn here in the U.S. And so globalization has really put downward pressure on the cost of items like, you know, baseball pants or uh, a baseball glove, computers, you know? I mean, the, 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 the brain power, the computing power of computers today uh, is nothing like it was even 10 years ago, and, and the price of computers have come down. Um, certainly, the cost of a college education has skyrocketed. Um, healthcare has skyrocketed. So, you know, there's issues out there, but I think there is a trend for manufacturing to come back to the United States. But the thing about it is, is that 
you know, whereas before you may have hired a thousand workers to do the job, now there might be ten. Yeah. So people are getting all excited about manufacturing coming back to the United States, but they're they're not going to hire anyone. We're going to go back to the good old days for sure. <laughs> not going to go back to the good old days, and in fact, yeah. they're having trouble, you know, finding skilled people that can run and repair those, you know, ten million dollar manufacturing pieces of equipment. Yes. Very good. Okay, well, we have, we're coming to an end. Uh, my guest this hour has been Angelo Gallo. Uh, he's the Chief Investment Officer at Lifelong Wealth Strategies. We've got a very interesting series of uh, observations about how to invest and what's going on in the current environment. You can find out more a bit about him at his website, which is lifelongwealthstrategies.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Angelo. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 